Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 18 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you're listening in from. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, we have a massive five days of the show coming your way this week, and we're starting with Aussie swimming legend and two-time Olympian Kendrick Monk. Caught up with Kendrick a few weeks ago on Zoom. We discussed his coaching career and how much he enjoys it, his early days in the pool in Western Sydney, his fantastic career with all the highs and learning moments, his Olympic experiences, his coaches, and a whole lot more. So get ready to start your week off right because Ep 18 with Kenrick Monk starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining me today on the show is a man who is a two-time Olympian from the Games in Beijing and London. He's a world championship and Com Games gold medalist, and post his swimming career, he's transitioned into being a successful swimming coach here in Australia. It is a very big welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Kendrick Monk. Mate, how are you going? Good, good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. Um, child-free today, always on a Thursday. Um, my daughter goes to daycare, so it's a lot quieter around the house. What about yourself? What have you been up to? Mate, um, yeah, well, today, Thursday, is a, it's a good one for me. I'm only working in the mornings, and then I have the rest of the day off, and then have to kick back on in the afternoon to coach the squad. So, yeah. start of the week's a little bit busy for me, but coming towards the end, it eases up. So, yeah, today's a good day. Mate, have you been through, uh, you know, these pandemic times with coaching? Obviously, uh, I know for myself, you know, I've only just recently been back for the last two or three weeks. What about for yourself? How's things been for you? Yeah, it's, um, I'm at a private school, so we go off of what the government's suggesting and then we always say take a step back as well. So we're only been back the last three weeks too, but it's um, interesting times and it's good that our pool's pumping, it's humming and people will be missing it and they want to get back in it. I'm a little bit over trying to do some dry land videos and send it out <laughs> to the boys and I keep looking at myself going, oh God, have a go at me moving. <laughs> that is a, um, but no, I'm glad we're back in the water. It's good to see. Talk to me about it, about those Zoom training sessions. I tell you, like, it, it, I think it was getting to the point where it was unanimous. Like, I was over it, the kids were over it, the parents yeah. were, everyone was just over it. That's it. It's, it, it. it starts off with a great vibe and you're really involved by the <laughs> end. We're all like, all right, guys, great chat. Have a great day. Yeah. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. Mate, did you get stuck into anything else with, with a bit of more time on your hands? You read any books, take any courses? Well, actually, I started a, um, we did a, a group of us. We uh, got together and we bought an online gym program from um, America Philly and it's an eight-week program and I was lucky enough to borrow some gear from work and we just got into that and a lot of us trying to see where we would have our game so I got quite fit um, and then off the back of that we had to do a half marathon run as well so we, a group of us got together over it on certain on the Anzac Day and had to go out and 
post times wherever you could. Um, you just had to run half a marathon. And so that, that was interesting. I got down and um, you know, I went fast. I went hour 40, hour 46. So I was happy for me. I could, you know, I'm not a small bloke. Uh, yeah. So I was pretty happy to get under that two hour mark. But um, no, it's, we had little goals like that. I'm more of a, not a book reader. I'm more of a get out there and adventure guy and you know, challenge myself in a physical way. Mate, growing up in, in Western Sydney, um, Blacktown for you, what was it like being a Westie? I know I grew up in, in Campbelltown. We're referred to as Westies. What was it like out that way for you? Yeah, look, it was, ah, oh, mate, I loved it. It's a lot of stories that can come from it. And, you know, over this break as well, like we've had the lockdown and being re going back, I've gone back to my old stomping ground where I grew up in Blacktown and it brought a lot of memories back of you know, running around and Friday night club nights out there with all the kids from the area just playing cricket and then mum running out saying you're meant to be competing, get on the blocks. And so like growing up in the West, it wasn't sitting at home watching TV. We were always out playing footy or soccer and running around enjoying the neighbourhoods or riding my bikes in the bush and doing some BMX riding. It, uh, it was a good little, good little life out there. I enjoyed it a lot. It's funny with club nights, it, it sort of changes, doesn't it? When you're younger, it's always you're missing the, the race because of handball or something like that yeah. or footy with the boys. As you get older, it's because you're chasing the girls and you're, yeah. you're supposed to be over there, but you're in a group somewhere where no one can see you. Anyway, I don't yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get myself into trouble. Now, let's get stuck into your swimming. What, what sort of a younger swimmer were you? Were you at the front of the line, at the back of the line? Were you loud? Were you quiet, mate? Where did you fit into that sort of junior level at, in squads? Um, well, when I was growing up, I had two sisters that, you know, I followed through my swimming career. Um, but I basically followed them and were quite quiet. Achievers coming through and getting through and knocking it off. But when I got a little bit older and moved up into the state group, I always envied the older guys and always wanted to be up the top and lead or try and nickel at their ankles or try and beat them. And I was sort of that, oh, how do you put it, a little bit cocky, but knowing in myself and with me was basically is like if i can beat these guys i'm only getting myself better and you know you have the odd odd argument with some of the older boys that you know you're kicking when you're doing pool and you know like the little blow-ups you have and growing up in a western side like city and going from two and gabby i still remember having one of the older boys you know didn't like it but you know i was given a bit of an ass kicking in training and you know, the best thing he did to me is grab my goggles and he flicked them off and smacked me in the face and slit my eyebrow open and you know, as my old man said suck it up and yeah. keep doing what you're doing because you're getting under the skin and you're only getting better from it so oh, look I was a bit of a heckler I, I like to get in there and a bit of banter I like to push the boys and I like to push the younger guys because how I see it is like if they're not pushing me I'm not getting any better and you know one day I'll step away and you know, they're going to be the next generation coming through and so these guys helped me out a fair bit but through that swimming career, I was like, I was a heckler. I like to do it just to improve myself, basically. Mate, it's funny you say that. Just, you know, hearing that story took me back to, I trained at Campbelltown with, with Tomo. And um, obviously yeah, was I was nowhere, yeah, I was, I was <laughs> nowhere near as good as you. And, and certainly, you know, in, in my squad at the time, I think Jim Piper was there and a few others. And yeah. I was nowhere near that, that level. But, you know, certainly when I was uh, at the back of the pack, just trying to get along and, you know, I'd be getting smashed and I'd say, oh, yes, listen, you know, could, I'm just getting hit in the head. They're like, well, get out of their way. They're, that's the, yeah. He's the boss. Get out of his way. So times definitely have changed, isn't it? I don't know if you can oh, yeah. get away with that sort of stuff these days. Yeah. I, it's, I, I look at it now. It's like, you know, a kid tumble turns on a kid and it's like, well, where were you? You, you 
from your point of view, it's like, well, mate, you're standing in the middle of this war. It's your own fault. Like, suck yeah. it up. But now you've got to be a little bit cautious. <laughs> and it's like, all right, look, mate, just learn the etiquette of the lanes and you've got to just move out of the way and get these guys to learn. But, hey, you just can't come with turn on everyone anymore. But um, it has changed. It has changed a fair bit. Yes, it's changed a lot. The old school rules, that's for sure. We could tell some stories. Now, um, <laughs> mate, talk to me about some of the heroes you, you had growing up. Who, who yeah. did you look up to? Um, for swimming, oh, well, out of swimming, like one of my biggest heroes uh, was Kieran Perkins. And he just, I think it's called at the time when I was swimming at Blacktown, he went and broke the world record of 1500 out of that pool as well. So I was pretty chuffed and I saw his pedigree, but didn't realize how much work he had to put into becoming a 1500 meter swimmer. So. Mm. I sort of then veered off and um, then I looked at the Thorpey and I looked at the Hackies because I love to do the 400s. Hackie did do the 15s too, but Thorpey was around the 4s and the 2s. Um, they became sort of my heroes growing through it, but it's, um, I didn't really then go, all right, I want to be like those guys. It's like, all right, what did they do? How can I be like them yeah. to improve myself to be better? And that's where I got, and when I saw these guys act, I was like, all right, well, Jesus, that's a true hero to me. They're getting there, they grind it out, they don't stress, they just do what they've got to do. And I was really wrapped to see them two as my biggest heroes. Mate, you're not the smallest guy around. Did you play any other sports growing up? Yeah, oh, I'm, mate, mate, I'm, I'm obviously yeah. learning to make basketball. <laughs> no, mate, I was hopeless, couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> I'd had a crack at rugby league, hopeless at that. Yeah. Um, played soccer, hopeless at that. Did cricket. Like My parents put me in a lot of things because like, as a kid, I think you got to be doing all different sports to see where your niche was. But uh, I love playing. I love to swim. Um, and both my sisters swam. And we did a little bit of athletics. And my parents at that time, they were basically, we had to make a decision um, if we wanted to do athletics or swim. And I didn't have a say. And my sisters basically said, well, I want to swim. Yeah. So off we went to swimming. And then, yeah, basically stuck to that. Mate, for a lot of people, there's a, a moment, and you mentioned Kieran Perkins there, but I don't know, there maybe is another moment. It could be in training, could be in uh, racing for you, but was there a moment where you decided, right, I, I really want to be a competitive swimmer, and, and then you started to set those lofty goals? Yeah, um, it actually was. It was probably, oh, where was it? I was, probably, I was 16 years old. I was over, we're over in Perth and at age national, and the year before, you know, I did a ride, I got a bronze in the 400 freestyle and I was pretty wrapped about that. And I said to my coach, how do I get better at this? Um, you know, I want to do more. And he's like, all right, well, at that time, Tony's like, well, we'll step it up. We'll go up to doing, you know, eight sessions a week. And I said, all right, perfect. So I tipped it up. And then I still remember the swim. I was racing against Ephraim Hannon over in Perth, 400 freestyle. And we were going head to head in this race. And I was just lucky enough, I think I had you know, the longer arm and we both hit the wall and we've gone from being four minutes swimming down to 350, you know, 353s for the 400 at 16 and yeah. and we both were a bit gobsmacked. It was uh, you know, one of the toughest races we've ever been in and then off of that, I backed it up and did the 200 freestyle as well and then the 100 freestyle, I walked away with three gold medals and I said to my coach, well, hey, I love this. I love the feeling of it let's you know go the next level with it mm. so that was probably my biggest turning point of like oh, i can actually do this 
Mate, those are the, the good times. Talk to me about the struggles through those teenage years. Were there any moments where, you know, you might have wanted to give it away? I know you being a coach, you'd know there's a lot of those teenagers who get to that, you know, struggle years where they're trying to balance school and swimming and their mates and all that sort of stuff. Maybe there were times you weren't progressing. Was there any sort of moments through your teenage careers that you look back on and, and you realise, you know, you're glad that you went through because it made you a bit stronger? Um, I never really looked at it at a younger age that, you know, I was struggling. I, I didn't get through it. Everything for me, I knew I always could get better. Um, when I looked back at it at the end of my career, I looked at it from the age of 17, oh, sorry, when age of 18, I'm going 147 for a 200. And I only broke that time. It was in going through in a normal suit was going basically back when I finished at 2012. Yeah. So I... It was never a dull moment that I hated it. I didn't want to do this. How do I, you know, I'm struggling to get better. I always looked at everything as like, all right, it's good, but we can be better. And it's that was always my mindset. I was like, all right, how do I get better at this? And I knew I always sucked at doing underwaters. How do I get better at this? Yeah. And you know, I never got better at my underwater. <laughs> it was just <laughs> one of those things. I was just like, oh, I know I've got to get better. I'm going to keep practicing that at and going through that. But through my teenage years, I've never had those dull moments because I just, I always knew I could be better as a better swimmer if it's coming from the four, the two, or the one, or just trying to put a, a race together. There's always those stepping stones I made up in my mind and myself to motivate me to never have those dull moments. Made 2006 Com Games in Melbourne. Uh, you make your, your team debut, but I mean, I think what started out to be a, a relay swim for you turned into, you know, a little, a little bit more with, with you know, um, obviously something going on there with Thorpe. Talk us through that sort of um, obviously celebrating that moment, but then obviously having to, you know, change on the run because things sort of escalated quickly. Yeah. Um, so basically, Australian trials, I came fourth in the 200 freestyle and Commonwealth Games, they take the top three of individuals. And Thorpe, leading into a week out got quite sick, uh, sick sorry, and had to step away from the team and Alan Thompson was the head coach at that time asked me if I'd like to step up to swim the 200 freestyle and the 100 freestyle I was like rightio and he goes oh, well you will be replacing Ian Thorpe and at that time I replaced Ian Thorpe the greatest Olympian we've ever had in <laughs> Australia fantastic um, and I said why not go for it and I still remember the quote I'm not trying to be in I'm going to be Kenneth Monk and it just oh man it just, then it just blew up and <laughs> I was living trying people were trying to make me live in any shadow and I I didn't want to I couldn't be him I was never going to be him mm. and it was basically the 200 freestyle that meet I'm born so I didn't swim very well and I knew I still had the 4x2 and the 100 freestyle to go and I just got my head around it and I made the final for the 100 freestyle. So that was quite impressive. I was quite happy with that. And then my 200 career sort of kicked off at that meet because I went 147 in my split in the 200 freestyle. Um, and I was a part of a team with a bunch of experienced guys that had been on teams before as well. And so it really motivated me then to go, I already want to take this 200 freestyle pretty seriously now yeah but you mentioned there's something very interesting um we talked about it just before we started but you know you came through in an era where you know um thorpey grand hackett these guys were sort of you know, winding up and you you're coming into that 200 400 still the 100 as well 
Did, did you feel a bit of that sort of pressure to sort of live up to those expectations? Not that I think you should. I don't think it's, it's, um, I don't think it's valid to do that to you, but you know, did you feel that? Because certainly, you know, you were coming through after a golden era, you know, we're around the same age. So, you know, we're both fans of swimming and looked up to these guys. Did you feel that? Yeah. Like, um, especially at Commonwealth Games, um, there's a lot of pressure because Ian was sort of looking at retiring. Um, and they were probably looking at the next person to come through and who's going to take that step. Um, Grant was still floating around as well at that time too. So it, it was, I, the pressure was there, but I never let them sell the message that you have to be the next Ian Thorpe or Grant Hackett to me. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm always been who I want to be and that's myself and I've always done what I wanted to do. But it's, uh, you know, having those guys around as I look at guys, they're just goals. How do we knock them off um, on the pedestal? And my goal with Ian was basically how close can I get to his best time? Yeah. Um, and then we same with Grant. It's like, all right, I'm not far off his PB. How do I knock him out um, of his position of where he was? And Grant had said to me once, uh, a little bit longer, like further down, did say to me, you can never, ever let me beat you again. Or you never, ever let me beat you again in the 200 freestyle. And I was like, well, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And he's like, perfect. All I want to hear, mate. Enjoy yeah. it. Let's, let's see what we can do. So you know, they were pressures but they also then became great mates and also they became a goal for me to you know not make them out to I had to be like them I just wanted to make a name for myself Mm. mate 2008 you won a a gold medal in the short course world champs for the 200 freestyle how much confidence did that give you obviously it was an Olympic year but that was a a pretty big moment for you albeit short course but still it's a world championships and, and it's a gold medal yeah, um, you know, a lot of coaches and a lot of people say, and I tend to say it sometimes too, they say short courses like putt-putt to PGA against yeah. the Olympics. Yeah. But, um, you know, look, it's, it was great. Coming off the trials, uh, making a team and then going straight over to Australian short course was unbelievable. Never done a world short course before. And I had Adam Pine, uh, my roomie at that time, and well-experienced athlete. And he, he said, mate, just enjoy this. You know, it's very different. You go. We're in an arena. They built a man. They built this pool and dropped it inside this arena, and the crowd was unbelievable. And he, he said, just get out there and just swim, mate. Just have fun. Uh, you've deserved it. You've made the team. How you go with it? And to walk away with that gold medal and also have Kurt Palmer to come second in that event with me too. They had two Australians on the block with my first international medal. Um, it was pretty, pretty amazing experience. I'm always uh, interested and fascinated, mate, when people do sort of standout things like that within their career. So, the, you know, the gold medal at World Champs. What went so right for you there? How did that sort of race plan come together? Was it just well executed? Was it just you were sort of free in the mind and you were a bit more relaxed than you normally are? What went so right? Um, I think basically when we really got getting ready for the meet, um, two days out of it, it was Tony at the time just said to me, he's like, mate, just relax. Like you've got nothing to lose here. Just have fun. And a lot of my meets, I used to always just enjoy myself and have fun. And then when I made teams in 2007 and then even 2006, I was sort of was having that little bit of pressure of trying to get my head around it. Yeah. Um, but they, at that meet, I just probably took the foot off the pedal and just went, I'm just going to enjoy and try and relax a little bit more with this. And 
it's short course. Went into that mindset of like, as people keep saying, you know, it's like putt putt. Just and I'm like, well, but now I look at it as you know, it's more than putt putt to me. It's a uh, one of my one of my amazing achievements. But it's a, uh, you know, I, I think I was a lot more relaxed at that meet, um, and I learned a fair bit about myself. That you know, as Tomo said, it's four fifties. Put your blinkers on, swim your race, and that's all I did. Um, at that short course race or swim it and didn't even know that when I hit the wall that's when I found out or had a look I thought Jesus I actually won this I couldn't even see anyone around me I was just trying to get up and down that pool as quick as I possibly could Hey, we'll, we'll get to the Olympics in Beijing in a second but talk to me about making your first Olympic team you know someone like me will you know never understand that and it's all that hard work and the effort chasing that dream you realise that that must have been sort of a, a surreal moment for you yeah, it's a, um, and that was a goal with Tony and I and to get on the team. Um, and we sort of had a bit of a bet. If I make the team and Grant Bricks, another gentleman I used to swim with as well, um, make the team and go certain times that Tony had the shady moustache because he's always had the, yep, the white yep. fox has always had the moustache and he's never taken it off. And <laughs> we had to go certain times and we didn't achieve the times that we both made um, the team. And it was awesome to be part of, like, make my first Olympics, but also be on that team with a guy who was from the same club as me. And we know all the hard work we put into it. So it was, it was surreal. It was unbelievable to make that. And I was quite young still to be getting on that team and to make it as an individual spot as well. Even it blew my mind more with Nicholas Springer as um, the other 200 similar too. Now, the experience, the Beijing experience, talk us through it. You know, the, the, firstly, you know, the atmosphere over there and all that sort of stuff, but then obviously into the pool with your uh, results. Yeah, um, well, I look, at two, I look at Beijing as not a... I also look a bit of it as a bit of a, you know, I regret what happened. Um, leading up to Beijing, I look back now, I probably wasn't in the best shape of my form because I made the team on my... Oh, I've probably decided I've, I've done everything I had to do, um, especially being my first, not knowing what to do, how to, what I have to do, how to prep for this or get through it. And, um, and then basically getting there was a whole other ball game. You know, you get thrown into a village, you go and get your uniforms, your big warehouses and you're on a team and you just move as one big unit as a team. And um, then you go to the pool the first time and it's just, it's very overwhelming and it's a bit of a slap in the face when you see all these other countries come in and, and I still remember the Beijing like you're walking in and we went to the dining hall and your dining hall is like three football fields long of all these different foods from around the world and but then you see these American team walk in the US basketball team and then you see the swimming team walk in and I still remember watching Michael Phelps walk in and was like oh here he is and he walked straight to Macca's and <laughs> had his cheeseburger in front of everyone. You're like, oh, well, he's just... And you don't know what's going on. And you just get caught up in this little bit of a bubble. And I think from that, basically, then it sort of... Sh- I, I say it shot myself in the foot. I just started putting a lot of weight on my shoulders to... All right, I've got to swim unbelievable here. Improve myself. Um, coming off of 2007, finishing fourth in a 200 freestyle World Championships. I was like, well, I've got to prove myself again. And... I really did hurt myself going into that heat and I didn't even get through the semi-final. I was disgusted. I went 148. It wasn't a great swim at all. Um, 
then thinking in the back of my mind, like, all right, cool, I've still got the four by two to go. Let's reassess, let's get back in there, let's start getting everything moving again. And yeah. it was really good because I started to really, you know, push that to go from there. And then at that time, um, I still remember I got the phone call, got the phone from, from Tomo um, and was told that I'll be stood down. I won't be swimming in the final for the four by two. Um, as normal, usually protocol goes as you, your fastest swimmers go through. And yeah, so that was a sort of a massive kick in the gut. Um, that hurt me a fair bit. And, you know, Nicholas didn't get the swim either um, in that final and where these guys walked away with a bronze medal. Um, so it was a bit of a kick in the guts and it hurt me, but it also made me realise as an individual, I've got to be better. Um, I can't allow all that pressure on myself. I've got to be a little bit more professional about this. Hey, you bring up, again, something very interesting that I think um, we're trying to get better at here in Australia with the swimmers uh, is that, you know, transferring the great results we always have in trials through to the Olympics and, and it could be world champs or wherever it may be, but for this, we'll, we'll go with the Olympics and, and, you know, transferring those over and trying to improve on them because always we seem to kill it at trials and everyone's yeah. cock a hurt and they're, you know, they're, you know, yeah. flexing and everything. And then all of a sudden we get to the Olympics and obviously, as you know, and everyone that I've, I've spoken to on, on here on the podcast know, it's just a completely different ball game. It's not a world champs. It's not a com games. It is a completely different beast. And, and sometimes you can get sort of caught up in that. How hard do you think is it to, to transition that? And now that you went through that, if, if you, yeah. you know, we're going to talk to someone on the Olympic team now who's just going to go to their first Olympics, hopefully next year, if it all goes ahead, what yeah. advice would you give to them? Yeah, I, I look at it now is to understand that everyone's in the same situation you are going forward, even if it's their third, their fourth, their fifth. It's still a special moment for everyone, but it's going out and asking and talking to people. Um, what we do quite well, we've had a lot of some very good support staff on the team as they're willing to help, but also there's some really good older athletes on that team where they're willing to help because they've gone through those experiences as well. And yes, it's their fourth time or their third, the games or the second, but they can talk you through the process and, and help you out and sort of mentor you through it because it is scary. Uh, it's, there's no lie to it. And it's basically some of these young kids that go on and make their first team, I would be basically saying is don't be a closed book, be an open book. Um, and take as much as you can in, but also go and talk to people um, that are on your team, that have lived it, or, you know, they might be going through it and be, you know, supportive to each other. Don't just be a turtle and hide. Um, it's Be open. That's the best thing. Mate, 2008, after Beijing, you make a move up to Queensland and train with uh, someone I regard as a super coach, Michael Bowl. What brought that about? Um, at that time, after Beijing, our squad sort of folded away. A lot of retired, um, a lot of people, yeah, basically a lot of retired, or they were very young swimmers. And I spoke, sat down with my coach at the time, Tony Shaw, and just asked, I said, look, I'm getting to a stage where I may need a bit of a freshen up if I want to keep going in this game. Um, and he suggested to me, you know, have a look into moving to Queensland or moving down to AIS. And I sort of tossed that up. It's like sunshine to Canberra. <laughs> or, I don't know. Um, and I made a phone call and 
Tony suggested to talk to Michael Bowl, and at that time, Michael was coaching Nicholas Springer, who I was on the team with, and Bowley had been my coach at Beijing as well because yeah. Tony wasn't selected. So he was sort of looking after me too. So he, um, he said, look, Nicholas is stepping away. He's retiring from the games, uh, from the sport. Would you? There's an opening. More than welcome to come up here and train, see how you go. And, yeah, basically I, two weeks later, packed up, moved out of home and had to fend for myself. So, yeah. Do you enjoy living up uh, up on uh, in the sunny state? Yeah, I loved it. It was good. I made some amazing friendships up there, but also I had a lot of friends up there too. And, you know, Brisbane, I'll, listen, they're probably about 10 years behind coming from Sydney. You know, it's hustle and bustle down here. Um, we're up there. I, I still remember my first session. I rocked up and I reckon I was half an hour early and I'm sitting in the car and I'm like, where is everyone? Like, don't they get here on time? Like people start rocking up at quarter two and Bolly pulls in. He's like, hey, mate. And I'm like, Bolly? And he's like, you're early. I'm like, yeah, rightio. And from there, I was always that athlete. I was always before Bolly even got to, got to the pool. I was always there. I'd be, you know, off running stairs or doing the little extra things before even Bolly got to the pool. And then when I finished off, he would be there and I walked in. And uh, I think that was our little bit of um, a connection with Bolly and I. He'd like to see me always do the little extra things. And yeah. that's one thing I take away from Sydney. It taught me. And, you know, we implemented a fair bit of that up there at Queensland too. Mate, I know you listen to the podcast, so you'd be uh, around what I'm about to do now. Sometimes with you guys, when you've had you know such a long career, sometimes what I want to try and do is just get more of a snapshot into certain times in your career or certain meets, because otherwise, as I've said before, if we go through everything, we'll be here all day, and I know you know we, we'd add up all day. So I'll give you uh, a year and a, and a meet, and you just give me your favorite memory, or you may, maybe there's a great story out of it. Um, first one, 2007 World Champs in Melbourne. Um, to be honest, seven world championships. Probably, I made two fans because my last name's Monk. It was a gentleman and his son were dressed up in Monk outfits, <laughs> and I was standing there, and his son idled me and liked liked me as a swimmer. And they had a sign saying "Go, go, Monkey," and they were there in their Monk outfits. <laughs> and I got to meet the meet my two two fans, and they basically followed me on my journey. They did that, yeah, so that was one of them. That's fantastic. What about uh, 2009 World Champs in Rome? 2009 Rome? Um, oh, it would be... Uh, it was probably when I was standing in the Martian area and Michael Phelps turns to me and goes, um, I think your parents are talking to my parents at the time and they're discussing a game called cricket. What's cricket? <laughs> and, uh, my parents were trying to explain to his parent, his mother was a I think school teacher or a principal at school and trying to teach him, you know, what we how a games we play in Australia and I'm like, Oh, probably mate, I don't know what my old man's saying to his mum. <laughs> Did you start getting worried? Because I can assure you well, if my dad was talking to I, Michael Phelps's dad, I'd be getting very worried what they're well, discussing. That's it. I'm like standing there going, What is my old man saying? Like, what are they talking about? Cricket, please don't talk about warning or someone like <laughs> the rest of the world don't need to know this stuff. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. but no, that was one of the funny moments. And I know it's not nothing much of swimming, but but even for Michael to turn around and you know start talking to me in a Martian area, um, it was, that was a pretty special moment. What about uh, 2010 Com Games in Delhi? Um, 2010 Com Games in Delhi, it would have to be 
the individual 200, um, where I literally lost the event by a, oh, a fingertip. It was a, a close race, um, and I only I just made that final, and also it was a bit of a, oh, what's going to happen here? And, and I, I got into that race, and I just put everything on the line, and I walked away. And an amazing split in the last 50. I think I switched off the third 50 and Bowley was about to kill me for it. But, um, it's, yeah, the walk away from bronze medal was probably the most um, special thing. For, uh, silver medal, sorry, it was probably the most special thing for me. Mate, yeah. I'm glad you said that with the results because I haven't heard much great, um, you know, chat about the, the village itself or the, the everything else around it. It was pretty average, was it? Yeah, it was interesting. Is the best way to put it. Um, <laughs> a life experience. Uh, you know, like stairways weren't finished. We had we would come up and you know you would have the cleaner would be sleeping in your bed and you'd be like, what is going on here? Cleaner <laughs> um, sleeping in your bed. Yeah, I oh, still remember good. walking up and we we're laying there. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, who is this person? And she just popped up, made my bed, and off she went. Um, <laughs> and it was it was a different like I think someone's spoken about it before with uh, another good mate with the toilets uh, you know, flooding up and they were shutting them down and all the sewage was coming out of it. It's uh, I still remember I think it was Ron Schumann stopped the race because of bugs all through the pool and they were just everywhere. So then they had to clean up the pool and I was like, this is international meat and God, the pool's filthy, dirty and it, and we had the diving pool turning green um it was a yeah it was an experience and it's in a story to talk about (laughs) it was an experience yeah let's leave it at that mate (laughs) talk to me we've mentioned a few of them but talk to me about the coaches you've had during your career you know how influential were they and and how different were they you know you're a coach now yourself how different were they with you know their philosophies and and their approach um a lot of my time when a junior simian um tony shaw was my coach uh all the way up to basically 18 uh and he was lucky enough and i was lucky enough at that time that we were also blended we had a blended squad with um, tomo mm-hmm. um i think they were called Campbelltown, and uh, it was some talk about trying to make a tnt squad tony and tomo but uh, we all swam out at one stage out of homebush um and you know i think having tomo as a coach you would know you know that and tony they're pretty like they were straight down the line. Um, this is what we're doing. A little bit old school onto it, but coming towards the end of Tony, it was a, you know we started to step more into the biomechanics side um, and being a bit you know, smarter of what we had to do. Where and you know, that ended, and the rest of my career moved on to being with Bowley. And um, you know, I look at Bowley. Bowley was a he knew how to manage people. Um, he knew what was right for his athletes. He knew everything about his athletes. And he basically more mentored me and guided me in the right direction of where we had to go and what we had to do. Mm. Um, and so if I needed to be more explosive of a block, it would be like, all right, we're going to use the experts to get this done. It's not like... Now, both of these coaches would never stand there and say, I know the game. Um, they would always you know, ask for advice give their opinion and work with the athletes. So yeah. I would have to say both of my coaches are very similar, um, but they always put the athlete first, um, I would have to say. it. So I've never been with a coach where, you know, I only swim three 3,000 metres a session. Um, and I think our minimum's always ran around that five up to the seven K. So like I've, I've never had a very a sprint-specific coach. Um, they were always 
very middle distance coaching. So they're very similar, but they both, look, I can't even say they're different at all. They're both basically, I look at it now, they're they're very similar, (laughs) but they always put the athlete first. And like the bond I had with Tony, like I always cherish and I still talk to him. He's a great mentor and same with Bowley. Like I both looked at those two guys as father figures. Um, I think Bowley comes more of a father figure because I moved away from home. And he was my beck and call uh, if I, anything went wrong. And he would always be there and always stick his neck out for me and help me as much as he could. In terms of race plans, you know, say for a 200, what was your race plan when you were behind the blocks? Was it fairly detailed? Was it fairly broad? It never changed. Never changed one yeah. bit. It was very simple. Um, and it was basically from Tomo. Um, Alan Thompson told me, 450s, mate. That's all it is. Uh, never changed. I've always had that race plan. It was always about making sure the three R's, the range of rhythm relaxation, and that even carried on over to Bowley as well. Um, I don't know what coach came up with that. I know people talk about it. People try and take credit for it, but you know these guys have been in the game for a very long time, and I've heard it for a very long time. I even I steal it too. Um, I was about to say, I said range, rhythm and relaxation this yeah. morning while I was coaching. <laughs> I don't know if Bill Switman came up with it, yeah. but um, like my race strategy, it was, it was very simple, 450s, cut it down, eliminate one, you know, get through the first one, get through the second one, you know, start to build the third 50 and come home like a steam train, don't leave anything left in the tank. Um, pretty basic, don't complicate it. I like it, mate. Talk to me about 2012, uh, London. You know, firstly, this is your, your second experience there. Um, do you look back on that and say, you know, okay, I was more confident because it was my second or is an Olympics still an Olympics? So it doesn't matter how many times you've been there, it's still the big show. Um, I, it's, I get, you just said it. It's still the big show. It's the pinnacle of our sport. But it's, um, I was probably a lot more relaxed going into this. I knew what was coming. Um, and leading into it, it was a bit of a roller coaster, but it was also, you know, it, it probably made me a little bit more resilient going into that games and going, well, you know, this could be my last. Um, who knows what's going to happen from this, but let's get in there and have a crack at it. And you know, I walked away, I made a semi final, I did a PB um, in the heat, got through there and just missed out on the final. But, you know, and then I was lucky enough to be in the final for the four by two that I missed out on four years ago. So sort of tick boxes for me, um, that 2012 and the experience to be there with 10 other of my training partners on the Bowley. I think at that time we had 11 guys on the Olympic team that Bowley was coaching. So it was unbelievable experience to know you're going into this race and then also going into that relay, having your teammates right next to you. Mate, how much, you mentioned the relays, how much do you enjoy relays with the boys? And, and you've been through, you know, many throughout your career. And the other question to that is, is there more or less pressure? Because I've heard conflicting, you know, stories. Some people come out and they're like, oh, it's a lot more relaxed because you, you know, you're with your mates and, you know, you feel a lot more sort of chilled. But then the other side of it is you don't want to let your mates down. So some of them yeah. feel there's a bit more pressure. What about for you? Um, for me, I never really saw the pressure side to it. I always enjoyed it being with, you know, your teammates and three other guys, I always had fun with it. It sort of brought me back to like school swimming and just getting in there and showing off how good you are. Um, I'm part of this group. I'm going to show this group how good I am and everyone else standing next to me. And, you know, I think some of my best races came from relays. Um, and I, I just I thrived on them. I loved them. I loved being part of it. 
Uh, you can put me in any position. I'm going to have a crack. It's, and then sometimes, you know, I could stand there and I could see one of the best Olympic swimmers next standing next to me. I'm like, mate, I'm going to show you up. I'm going to have a crack at you. And you just go that next level because when you get out of the pool, you have your teammates there straight away, mate. A relay was, you know, I love them. I couldn't, I can't get enough of them. I still love them. I still love watching them. Um, and I love watching my kids being part of them because it's, you know, they're putting everything on the line for their teammates. Mate, incidents throughout your career, and then there were a, a few that got picked up by the media. Now, were these just media blow-ups and sort of out of proportion, or do you think these were lessons learnt for yourself? Um, I think I, one of them is probably my own stupidity, um, and that was a skateboarding accident, and you know that I think got blown really out of proportion. Um, I still remember someone saying to me, "You know, you're on the front cover of every newspaper there is in Australia." Mm. Um, and the second page on there is, you know, we've got people dying in the world. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is ridiculous. But, you know, from that, I, it's no one to blame except myself. And I looked at that. I was like, well, you know, I've got to be honest with myself. And it taught me a lesson to own what I do. Um, and then, you know, going off of there, going over to America and you know, having some guns in my hand. I think every person's done it. Um, I've been on Australian swimming teams that we've gone to gun ranges, and yeah. you know that's Australian media. They love to blow up things and make it a little bit ridiculous, and you know it's it's hard. But you know, that's just that's Australian media. You got to love them sometimes. <laughs> but um, I, I look at it now as like, well, okay, cool. We could have been smarter. Probably not the post something or do it. But even when I was posting, then Instagram wasn't even really as big as it was what it is now um so it'd be a lot harder for kids um growing through the you know the world or the sporting world and being smart on it but it's a you know, i learn a lot from that and i try and help people when i see things just go mate look this could bite you in the ass it happens but make sure if you do post that you've got to own it and accept it I and mean, trust me i've lived it um and it hurts but you know let's just just think before we do things sometimes yeah. Mate, you mentioned it there with the media and here in Australia. And every time I think of uh, Australian media, I think of Chopper. And what he used to say was, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So uh, I definitely think there's always, you know, a little bit of truth to these things that come out, no doubt, right? But certainly to be front page, I mean, yeah, as you said... There was things going on on page two that you're like, that's... I'm, yeah, it's a little bit more important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I look at it now and go, oh, well, hey, I was on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, the Australian <laughs> Age. Like, fantastic, guys. Thanks so much. Like, free promotion, awesome. Like, it's a, you know, and I think Ali's manager said it once, you know, any publicity is good publicity. So, but I don't look at it as trying to push myself forward to get out into the world in that note. Um, I'm not like that at all. And, yeah. you know, the Australian... People call me the bad boy of Australian swimming. Oh, far from it. Yeah. And that's where the people who know me know that. And a lot of people still judge me for what articles they read online. And they, where I, I just said, you know, you don't read everything and it's not uh, truthful. Mm. It's, I, I sit here today and I hold my head up proud of who I am. And I'm the first person if someone needs help to put their hand up to help them and say, you know, I don't go out of my way to try and show that I do that. I'm just happy to do it. And, you know, like one thing leads to another thing. But, you know, people are starting to understand, you know, the paper, what you read, is not always the truth. 
Absolutely not. Now, just in keeping with that theme, mate, you know, a lot of um, social media is so much bigger these days and a lot of athletes do cop a fair bit of flack, whether, you know, if they perform well or they don't perform well or maybe their own reactions to, to their results aren't what people want them to be, which I find ridiculous because who are you to have an opinion on someone else's reaction to something yeah. that they've done? But anyway, let's not get into that because I'll, I'll go on a rant. <laughs> Yeah, what what advice would you give those those guys? Like, would you say to switch off social media? Obviously, you know, sometimes if if you don't know what's going on, well, then it's not going to hurt you. Yeah, I don't think we should hide from social media. Um, it's so powerful and for such a powerful tool now. It's just, I think, educating ourselves on how we can use social media for better gains and for helping other people out there. Um, I do see some things on there, and I look at it and go. Great. What have I learned? Nothing. I think I've become dumber from watching this video. Um, but I feel it's like we shouldn't hide from it. I just think the support around social media is just educating people on how powerful this tool can be. Um, and let's try and make sure it's done in a positive way. Absolutely. Um, just you saying that and feeling dumber after listening to things reminds me of me sitting next to my wife when she's listening to <laughs> watching TikToks and things in bed. Man, I think you might get in trouble tonight. <laughs> oh, no, I tell her anyway. I don't care. I just say, listen, what are you watching? I just feel so stupid even hearing that. Can you turn it down? Put your yeah. headphones in. I don't want to hear it anymore. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <sighs> Mate, now, listen, you're, uh, you, you're transitioned in, into coaching, but for a lot of people, you know, um, transitioning from an elite athlete into everyday life or a new role isn't always easy. When did you make that decision to sort of hang the togs up? And, and did you have an idea of where you were heading once you, you know, sort of made that decision? Because I know maybe not so much in swimming, but, uh, you know, you look at rugby league players and, and they have no idea what they are once they finish. If they yeah. can't go into TV, uh, yeah. they don't know where that's, to go after that. That's it. No, I, um, after 2012, I stepped away from swimming. Didn't want a bar of it. And I'll, one of my mates offered to me a job to help him run a boxing gym in Fortitude Valley um, and so I went there and became a manager um, and basically ran a professional boxing gym for a couple of years and at that time coming up after a couple of years I got a phone call uh, from Nicole Livingston yeah. and asked would you be interested in coming down to Melbourne and stepping in for six weeks to do a bit of a coaching stint with down a coach I was like never lived in Melbourne all right, whatever, like, cool, this could be a good experience. So stepped away from the gym and went down to Melbourne. And at that time, it was winter, and I said to myself, what am I doing? Um, leaving Queensland to come to this. and But it actually, I fell in love uh, from the other side of it to educating and teaching young kids the art of swimming and the discipline and understanding that it comes with sacrifices on what you've got to do. And I don't want them to... They have to be like me, but I want to guide you to be the best athlete you can be. And I just fell in love with it. And six six weeks turned into nearly fuck. Oh I was on about three months, four months, and I was lucky enough. Then I got a job um, offer up at Jamboree Heights back up in Queensland, and didn't know what to expect. Had no idea. I think Rob Danderson was the old coach there, and. I heard of the club, but I didn't know what I was walking into. I had no idea the caliber of swimmers. A lot of them have moved on, went with Rob and did everything. I was like, whatever, cool. We can start from scratch. Doesn't bother me. I don't care. This is a stepping stone. Uh, it's my club. Let's just see what we can do. And 
I walked in and I went, there's four lanes. Wow, what's going on here? I've just come from MSAC where I've got <laughs> two 10-lane 50-metre pools to a four-lane 25 that's a metre deep. I'm going, this is going to be very interesting. And when we did Friday Night Club Rights, we made it six lanes and they got skinnier. Um, but it wasn't about the pools, it was about the people around it and how we can make every single person here feel special and enjoy being part of this community and teaching these kids again the art of swimming and i think they got a bit of a shock from me because it was probably a little bit of a hard art to start with but um and it's probably a bit straight down the line but we turned i walked away from that job um putting a couple of kids into a national team uh, into making their first ever nationals and giving opportunities from multi-class to able bodies giving everyone the opportunity to be part of something special there and you know, I think it's still thriving, it's growing, it's getting bigger out there too. Uh, Gregor Tate took over from me and I think it's just doubled in numbers, like he's doing an amazing job there. But when that finished up, uh, my partner at that time, or my partner, she got accepted into medicine back down in Melbourne and that week I was quitting, basically. Um, I got another phone call from Vic Centre again, uh, from the Cole Livingston, asking would I like to come back and coach our national group and i was like um yeah right love to why not yeah. came down and you know i stepped into a different arena um knew a lot of bodies knew a lot of people there and and then my career basically started blossoming from there man i've got to tell you um and i'll give you the props on air as well as off air but the work you did at jamboree heights was something for me that I looked at and I was like, right, we can achieve something here. Cause, uh, four five years ago, I moved up to Brisbane and started coaching at a, a little state school pool called uh, Somerset Hills. And yeah. much the same as you, I walked in, I was like, hang on a second. What is this? Cause nobody prepares you for what a, a Brisbane state school pool uh, yeah. actually looks like. Um, and it's, as you said, it's six little skinny lanes. They're not even actual sizes and you can really only put one person in it uh, at a time. And, um, you know, the, the shallow end is 0.8. Anyway, I digress. We um, yeah. walked in there and, and I looked at what you guys were achieving and I thought, well, it's definitely, you know, we can get something out of this if we have the right mindset and we have a look at how we're doing things and think a little bit differently and yeah. um, certainly have a positive mindset, which obviously you guys did. So I want to give you some props there, mate. You definitely, you wouldn't oh, have well, known it, you. but you definitely, uh, I was yeah. looking from afar going, right, if, if they can do it, we can definitely do it. That's it. No, I think everyone, you know, when you look at a pool, hey, you've got a pool. Anything's achievable, achievable, and you can get in there. And if you set your goals right, you know, you can start ticking those off. And this game's not a short game; it's a long game. And you know, being in front of the long haul, don't try and think it's going to be a short game. What sort of a coach are you? And and I'll preference it with saying also, has that changed? You mentioned when you first got into yeah. a bit of a hard ass. Is, have you sort of uh, relaxed a little bit more as you're getting older? Yeah, I look at it. Oh, God, I can't say getting older. I'm only 32. But, um, yeah, mate, but I, we are. We are. I'm 34 <laughs> are and I definitely older. feel like I'm getting a bit older. <laughs> yeah, I think when I first got into – I don't look at it as a junior coaching. I looked at when I started taking a little bit more seniors I was a bit of a hard ass, um, and I thought that was probably the way to get through to them. And I had to take a bit of a step back to understand that where my mentors and my coaches were, they knew the athlete, they understand the athlete. And I start like now how I coach is not basically trying to 
with a million people in the pool is making sure that everyone who walks through that door, I know who they are um, and why they're here and what they want and can I help them? And majority, nearly all of them is a yes. And I'm straight up from the start, I'm straight with them. It's like, look, I'm not going to tiptoe around it. We're going to have a relationship where I'm going to tell you if you need to pull your, you know, pull your socks up, you pull your socks up. Yeah. Um, or, you know, how can we help basically to get the best out of you to be an athlete? So like now I don't look at my athletes or past athletes as, you know, they were just tools. I look at them as people The basically I'm hoping that I've guided them on to being better people and I have been truthful with them the whole way. Um, and that's what I sort of want to be as a coach and strive to be is like my old coaches that they were honest with me, but they also understood me. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to say as a coach, who are your coaching mentors now? How do you, who do you look to for, for advice when you need it? Yeah, um, I look at a lot of people actually, but my main two is you know, Bowley and Tony. Um, they would be my two coaching mentors. I took a lot from them. Um, and I talk to them when I need something. I would you know, just give them a buzz and they'll always bring me back or they'll always pick up the phone for me. Um, but they also, you know, I tiptoe around even around the younger guys. Like Adam Cable is one of the young coaches coming through the scene as well. Um, you know, Ash Delaney down in Melbourne, he's doing amazing stuff there out coaching with his kids so it's I don't I have my two main mentors are Tony and Bolly but I also like to ask everyone you know it's no there's no shame to ask a dumb question especially in the coaching world where they might go man pretty simple because I look at swimming it's very simple once we complicate it we've made it hard um, and then but in that coaching scene it's like I like to ask questions you know, I'm always kind of on the front foot. And I, if I have to ask a dumb question, I'll ask a dumb question. I don't care. But if it makes me understand it, great. Um, and it might help someone else in the room that's probably a little bit hesitant or scared to ask that question too. Mate, in terms of sets, do, do you use any sets that you used to get flogged with? Are there oh, any like, tough mate, sets that you like? one set I love to do. Kids will hate it. It's always repeated. People whinge when they see it. But it's the... I used to do the 10, 10 200s as the 150-50 set. But yeah. a lot of people have brought it down to being only eight. I call them a little bit soft. But it's, a, it's where you descend it in groups of two. You get a bit faster over the 150s. Um, but the 50s, or the back end 50 is always max effort. So it's 150 on 230, descending in groups of two. We have a 50 max on 130. Um, sometimes you mix it up, you may dive the last 50. I've done that a fair bit. We went on with Tony. Um, with Bolly, was always a push. But it's, um, I, we used to, I used to thrive off those sessions. I remember still swimming the set, doing it, and I had Nick Darcy who would be in the lane next to me. And we'd both just give it to each other. We'd love a little bit of banter. Yeah. And he was a butterfly. And so he he would always do the freestyle and always tick off with me because he was 10 times better underwater than I was. And so we'd hit the turns, he would belt me off the wall and then we'll get into the 150 and like we'll be neck and neck. And then it would get into the 50 max. And I knew I always had him because he was always doing fly. So if I'm pushing 24s, he's coming in going 25 to fly and we're just into each other. Yeah. And then we'd have always, we call it the cashew. And we always have the guy that at the end, He'd save up all his little pennies and he would smack us on the 150 on the last one and me and Nick would just be into him. And then 
and it will be the last fifth year, we'd always say to each other, mate, he's not beaten us. We're not letting this happen. <laughs> yeah. And if he did get over us, we'd probably give him a bit of lip. But if he didn't, <laughs> we'd just stand there and like just show his cards going, mate, stop being a cashier, just be involved from the start. And, you know, you die, you die, so what? Don't just save it up to the end. But, um, but no, that would be one of my best sets and probably one of my favourite stories too. <laughs> yeah, the old grandstanders, the ones who just love the <laughs> praise at the end. Look at oh, me go. Mate, the heroes, the heroes, that's <laughs> what we used to call them. But, you know, we've still got them around, but yeah. they, um, you know, it's, I think it's also, I, I see it happening and I'll always you know, be up my kids like, don't do it, get moving, come on, I want to push a little bit harder on this one. Hey, outside of work, what, what do you get up to to, to unwind and relax? Um, oh, what do I do? God, um, I love, I've been riding a fair bit. Um, got a bit of a riding crew. Mm-hmm. So we get out on the bike and go for a bit of a spin. Um, I don't mind the running. I go out and run a fair bit. Like it's uh, my next goal I want to tick off is I want to run another marathon. I've done a marathon. I want to do another one. Yeah. Um, I like just to be outdoors. Anything that can keep me outside instead of sitting at home watching TV. Um, they're my hobby. I just love to be outside or you know, just going to see some mates. At the moment, it's pretty hard, but yeah, just seeing some mates, getting out and having a good yarn. But I'd love to go cycling myself. Unfortunately, uh, the the seats aren't big enough for my fat ass. So. <laughs> Man, look, I'm not the smallest guy. So seeing me riding around a bit of lycra, I'm just looking at it like, well, at least they can see me. That's how I look at it. Uh, well, they see me. I'll fall straight. I'm too top heavy. I wouldn't yeah. even be able to balance up. <laughs> Uh, mate, listen, I like to finish these chats with, a, you know, less serious stuff, as you know, um, and, and it's just sort of rapid fire stuff. And given that you've listened, I'm assuming you might have done a bit of, uh, you might be ahead of me here and you might have a few <laughs> ideas of what's coming. So talk to me about what are your favourite songs or, or music to listen to? Oh, man, I'm a top 40s man. All my kids hate it, but top 40s does it for me. Well, it's good because at any time you can listen to it, isn't it? I think, you know, yeah. if you like your rock or your R&B, it's always you've got to be in the mood for it. Like for me, yeah. there's times I'm in the mood for it. But, you know, if yeah. you go on top 40, any time. Um, yeah. What about favourite movies? Uh, favourite movie, Remember Titans or Coach Carter? Mate, I love it. They, they, what are two of my yeah. favourites as well? They're up there, very high. Uh, what about, do you read? What about favourite books? Uh, not much on the reading. Um, I just finished off Barefoot Investor with the boys. We've all been talking about that. That's yeah. probably my last book I read. What about favourite meal? What do you love to eat? Oh, mate, can't go past the chicken parmy. Mm. At the Napier Hotel, chicken parmy down in Melbourne, that's one good thing that they do is the chicken parmy. What drinks with it? Lemon, lime and bitters. I do like to have a nice beer, but lemon, lime and bitters is probably you know, the easiest thing to go. What about, mate, favourite countries? You've visited a few. What are your favourites? Oh, favourite country. I, I love the US. Um, Europe, I just finished up well, last year. I went over to Europe with my partner. So, oh, yeah, I love, I love Europe. Anywhere through Europe. I, I went hungry. Um, I went over there. That was a pretty amazing. Budapest was pretty amazing. Mm. And mate, lastly, what about favourite quotes? You're a coach now. Do you love your quotes? Oh, favourite quote. Oh, I used to be a quote coach. I used to love writing a quote um, on the bottom of it. I sort of, um, there is one, it's from Coach Carter. I think it's, um, our deepest fear is that we are not inadequate. Our deepest fear, that we're powerful beyond measure. It's not our darkness that we're frightened. It's our light. Um, I think that's probably one of my favourite quotes. I actually have it 
printed, uh, not printed, like graffiti up onto a piece of a VB sign um, yeah. that one of my mates did for me and I have it hanging in my room. That's probably one of my favorite quotes. Very nice. Mate, I love that quote too, but you're doing better than me. I don't know if I would have been able to recite it as you I started. Like, I, was like, then. Like, I was like, oh, God, look at him. I was getting very impressed. <laughs> I think Cruz, Cruz had a coach Carter. Uh, yeah, he after it, he uh, came he back because he, he got in trouble yeah. at first, got booted yeah. out, but he came back, reformed. Um, yeah. Mate, what about finally, you know, your legacy as a, as a swimmer in the sport? You know, if people mention your name, how would you like to be remembered as an athlete? Um, look, I look at it, I pride myself and I was always a hard worker um, and always did the little things to you know, better myself, but also hopefully inspire the person next to me to do the little things to be better as well. Mate, perfect. Uh, firstly, mate, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. As I said, I know you're a busy man and you've got uh, coaching and all that other stuff going on. So I appreciate yeah. you taking the time. I appreciate uh, it. It's been an honor to, to go through your career with you. You're a champion in and out of the pool. And thank you to your contribution to, you know, swimming here in Australia. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Too easy. Thanks for having me, mate. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Don't forget to head over and check out our YouTube page to catch all the fantastic interviews you may have missed from Season 3 so far. Go there, like and subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest news from the podcast. Keep your podcast fixed right here this week as we still have heaps more stars coming your way and you will not want to miss a minute of the action. Until tomorrow though, guys, have a great day. Remember to smile and laugh, please. And it's bye for now.